This is the Battle Proof Podcast with your host, Chris James. So, hey, Ron, how's it going today? It's going quite well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Like, actually, I'm I'm kind of kind of really pumped and excited to like have you on the podcast. Big fan of racing, um, off road and asphalt. Obviously, Formula One, NASCAR, and then everything in between. Which like you guys are like are the you know you specialize in that stuff. The whole Hoonigan Channel is like huge. Like you know, I even put my dad onto it. Like he turns ninety this year and. Like, he just can't get over, like, you know, the videos, just like how cool those cool. are and stuff. Um, so, like, you know, obviously we're in 2023 and, and um, a few, like, a huge strategy has happened within the company. But let's, like, kind of start at the beginning and explain to our listeners who may not know the brand Hoonigan, Hoonigan Industries, like, kind of how it, like, kind of started, like, who it started with and kind of, like, you know, it's kind of like the, the legacy of this, you know, the idea before it was even became the brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, I'd just like to give you a very big thanks on helping expand our age demographic. I mean, 90, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we don't really do much marketing towards that age group, but man, thank you. Thank you for putting your dad on. But yeah, he loves it. He used to do um, Formula 2 and Formula 3 racing and actually used to race against Jackie Stewart. Um, in, wow. In, in, yeah, yeah. So, and obviously Jackie Stewart's still around, Formula 1 yep. champion. So, but yeah, that's kind of like, you know, the actual, how, how it started, like, you know, obviously it started with Ken Block and I, I think like an, a, another person as well. And yes. if you kind of like take it from there, um, that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So, you know, Hoonigan as a company or even just as an idea started between Ken Block and a guy named Brian Scotto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ken, Ken had come up, he had raced motocross, you know, on an amateur level. He always had an interest in rally, always watched it, you know, enjoyed motorsports from the sidelines, but, you know, never really dove into it in a, in a major way. And then, you know, he started sponsoring guys like Travis Pastrana and, and there was this, there was this new era of motorsports starting to bubble up. And in America as well, where you had these like younger kind of exciting guys starting to come up and do cool things in cars. So Travis right. said, I want to rally, you know, rally in the U S at the time was very much a hobbyist sport. I mean, yeah, you know, you had some manufacturer support here and there, but it was, it was genuinely small, but you know, it really, it worked for Travis. So he started doing it. Ken went to a rally school with Travis one day and he was like, man, I've been following the sport for so long. I, I didn't know that I could be a part of it here in the U S like, that's really cool. I want to see mm. what this is about. He went to a place. It was a rally school in New Hampshire. It was called Tim O'Neill rally school. Uh, he went out there and, and just had a natural talent. You know, he knew the dynamics of, of rubber meets dirt, you know? So it, it just kind of came naturally to him. And from then on, you know, he got himself into a, a Subaru and was racing alongside Travis one rookie of the year uh, in, in Rally America at the time. I believe that was 2005 season. The rest there is history. But the important part about that is, you know, Ken came from a world of skateboarding, BMX, moto, yeah. like all of the action sports. And what Ken was doing there was, you know, that era, action sports was bubbling up. It, w- it was big and you had to be really, really good to get your message through the noise. I mean, you know, back then in that X games era, there were a hundred different skate brands, all these different media outlets, 
magazines, DVDs, you know, there was so much. So you had to do something really unique to stand out. Mm. And part of Ken's job was what do our ads look like? So he was laying out print ads. He was helping on the creative, you know, with guys like Rob Deerdick, who wasn't even known at the time. I mean, he was just, he was known as, you know, a, a pro skateboarder and nothing beyond that. So he really built this understanding of the creative process, how to stand out, but also really importantly, what he wanted from his skate team as a business owner. And this comes in a bit later, but when, you know, he started building out his own program, he had lived the marketing side and the business side. So yeah, that makes, now it's starting to make sense just from you saying that early on that it's like, ah, that's how this happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, it's a funny thing because, you know, with, with a lot of successful things, you know, you get this, what seems like to us on the outside, a flash in the pan is like, whoa, man, who is this guy? He came out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Out of nowhere. That's always what people say. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, and, and, and there's a, some negativity that comes with that too, but yeah, you got to understand like that, that level of spark takes years and even decades to build up. So mm. where the real crux of it happened was, you know, Ken started doing his, his Subaru thing and he actually, funny enough, he, he really didn't know much about cars mechanically. You know, yeah. he wasn't like a lot of us car guys coming up where, you know, we read all the magazines and watch all the videos and we learn about, oh, this turbo, that turbo, these offset wheels, oh, this tire brand, all that. Yeah. He, he was on a very different side of it, right? So he met this guy when he was doing uh, the Gumball 3000, met this guy, Brian Scotto. Brian uh, headed up a magazine called zero to 60 magazine out of New York. Now, Brian is a human automotive encyclopedia. Like it's <laughs> disgusting. The knowledge that he has on the most obscure stuff. It's, it's crazy. So they just immediately, they, they hit it off. You know, they did this full crazy road trip in these Subarus and, you know, Brian was telling them about what a turbo is and how it works and why it's cool. And, and just that whole breadth. And, you know, pretty soon thereafter, they kicked off Gymkhana practice, which, you know, now is essentially Gymkhana one. And Brian kind of helped him creatively consult on that. And funny enough, if you go watch that video, uh -huh. it says Gymkhana practice presented by zero to 60 magazine. Uh, okay. It was that, that first kind of collab that spun it off. So really that, that powerhouse that came of it was that perfect intersection of, you know, motorsport racing at the time, it was, it was kind of stodgy, stodgy. It was a little bit bland. There wasn't a lot of really, really genuinely exciting stuff happening, at least to the outside. Like, yes, to racing enthusiasts, it was there. But, you know, you had this new generation that, you know, had grown up on skateboarding and, and action sports and all that. They, they knew there was something cool about cars, but they didn't really know the entry point to start following it when we were starting to do everything with Ken is like, wow, we've got the ear of this audience and we've got the respect of this audience through everything we've done in DC and all the people Ken knows. So because of that, you know, we, we all of a sudden have this whole new slew of people that are getting into cars because of the way we're able to present them. Right. And for us, that was the really big paradigm shift. I mean, you pair that with the advent of, facebook and instagram and youtube and all those platforms we were the first ones there right we were the first ones to really look at it and put effort in it, it it's funny because 
<laughs> I remember, you know, at the time our website was the main focus. We would put our press releases there. We would blog posts and put up photos. And when we were starting the Facebook page, the whole thing about it was, okay, yeah, you guys, yeah, you could put effort into the Facebook page. That's fine. As long as it doesn't get in the way of the website. Mm. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, everything we start doing on Facebook starts taking off like crazy. And the website is, you know, you can barely even get valuable metrics from that. As any big success story you get, it was kind of a, a, a combination of a perfect storm of things happening in a couple different scenes. And then beyond that, just relentless, relentless work from a small crew of people. Yeah, actually, like, and the timing that you're talking about is actually like the true beginning of like going from Facebook into like the introduction of YouTube, then Instagram, then like the like double, triple style growth of how YouTube grows, you know, because like now everyone has it. You know, it took a, it took a while actually. Probably took a good five plus yep. years when they even had it. But to watch stuff on YouTube on your TV because people would just watch it on their phone, yeah, maybe on their computer. But like now, YouTube really is like now a, a, like a station. You know, anything else because genuinely so. Because if you think all the TV stations have their own apps and YouTube is an app, so they're all they're all competing against each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it's one of those things I heard an analogy from someone and how true it really is, is tough for me to say, but somebody was talking to me about the comparison of, you know, TV money versus YouTube money and, and just right. as a business in general. And he's like, well, imagine two elevators and they're in the same building and one is very high up and that's TV. And mm. one it's pretty low, but one's going down and the other one's on its way up and it's on its way up pretty quickly. And at some point they're going to converge. And mm. I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, an exact day or year or whatever, but I genuinely feel that that convergence is, is upon us. And at least we'll see it in our generation, because, you know, if you think about YouTube and how hyper specific it can be to your likes and wants it's it's crazy right like it's a it's a wild thing and especially with how many people are doing content on there now anything you're into you could probably find someone that's into it yeah, it's actually i think it's like you know like when people search something on google like if you want to find something like it's like youtube's almost better so it's like you know that like you can find anything on youtube like how to do this how to do that subjects names like if you hear a song for the first time i know that all kids like go on youtube and like you know shazam it and then like put it in youtube straight away so they you know so they can listen to it and that's the first place that people are now hit you know finding out stuff or it's the first place where everyone goes to now yeah we have we had certain videos that we were doing uh just kind of a, a seo exercise you know of seeing what comes from where and, and how our traffic is being funneled and certain how-to videos we had or certain things of just a, a level of education. A huge amount of that traffic was coming from Google, not even from within mm -hmm. YouTube. Somebody knows they want to find a video and they could go to YouTube and look for it there, but they, you know, the uh -huh. knee-jerk reaction is, oh, just Google it. And then YouTube is the first thing that pops up. So it's, right. it's, it's amazing that you know, how many different entry points you have to get into a YouTube video and what that makes that platform into as, as your marketing voice. Yeah. In, t in terms of the filming, like if you look at like 
I mean, I think, am I right in saying that most people, like, if they haven't followed Hoonigan for ages and they're just kind of finding it now, that they would think that just Hoonigan is just like, does these really cool, crazy, badass videos. And if, that, and if, that's, and if, that's, if that's the case, when they started doing videos and saying like, you know, now I want to do like um, this, because essentially they are stunt, stunt videos as well, like really long, but it's, it's, they're like, you know, mini films now, right? Uh, like it's, it's like, like a James Bond intro or something. In terms of the, the obviously like videos dramatically changed as well. Like before it was these, you know, quite big cameras, very expensive. And then maybe only a few people had those cameras and you kind of had to work with those guys first. To now, like, you know, even phones can record amazing, you know, like if you look at the content, like how the quality and how kids color their stuff on TikTok it looks yep. better than like it's like a 4K Netflix film or something, right? So from these big clunky cameras to smaller cameras, um, you know, in production, how, how did the production start on the first couple of videos? Great subject. There's a lot of different directions to go with that. But, you know, for from the Hoonigan side, right, we have, like you mentioned, we have the Gymkhana series. Mm -hmm. And that is the highest production that we can get you yeah. know, versus, you know, in, in a reasonable sense. Right. Um, and those are genuine films that we make there. It's, it's a yeah. short, like a, like an action short film. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on the Hoonigan side, you know, that's, that's the vlog space and that storytelling. And these two actually play into each other. So, you know, the first Jim Connor that we did ever Jim Connor practice was, you know, some friends, some high school friends of Ken's that had started their own production company. And they were filming off-road trucks, off-road racing. Okay. They had, you know, the the larger equipment. They had one of the first red cameras. Um, you know, they were mm -hmm. filming on on larger, you know, more, you know, by modern standards, very clunky and slow cameras. But you wanted to make it look nice, and that's how you would do it. You know, that that was really the only option you had because we were there and we were putting the time and effort and money into that space and making these films. It was it was successful. I don't want to say it's just successful because we're the only ones doing it. You know, there's obviously a lot that goes into the recipe, but it definitely helped. It helped a lot that we were the ones that decided, you know, Ken said, yeah, I want to shoot cars in a cinematic way. I want to make this look really cool. I want to tell a story. And there just wasn't anybody really doing that on, you know, a more top of funnel, you know, general public consumable level. So really at that time, and especially, you know, on, on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, you know, we were going into, uh, to make a, a rally test video. And I had, uh, like a Canon 7D, I think I had at the time, because uh, the 5D and the 7D were revolutionary in the fact that it could be a stills camera and shoot quality video. So for me, as a one-man media show with Brian, that was the game changer. That's how we could start making this content. So we jumped on that, and we would make a test video, and it would get a million views right off the bat. To us, that was that was wild. It seemed like so much work getting it, capturing it, editing it putting it up in a decent amount of time but man then you get to a point where exactly like you said today you have a cell phone which uh, you know slight side tangent there's so much hoonigan content that we have today that has cell phone footage spliced in that you could never tell you know right, you, you could right, barely right. tell that it was shot on a phone versus a camera that revolution happened and it happened really quickly because people realized that on a prosumer level they could make a much smaller investment and produce video. You started getting a lot more creative and interesting production out there. Now, that's great 
as a, a consumer of media. But for us being in the space, that was very challenging because all of a sudden there's so many more options. There's so much more noise in the space that you have to compete with. It's really creative kids. You know, these are people that are excited about the idea of having production in their own hands that they just, they start making everything and anything and they'll put in every dime and every ounce of effort they have into it. So that changed the landscape for us in a big way. We had to be very nimble. We had to be ever more creative every single year just to compete with them. So then from a Gymkhana standpoint, you know, on that scale, we didn't scale into being our own production company on it until 2016, which okay. was Gymkhana 9. Okay. That was in Buffalo. That was where we had gotten comfortable enough with our own skills, our own knowledge, our own everything to where we knew what camera team we wanted. We knew how we wanted to shoot it. We knew who we wanted to edit it. And we put all of those together. And, and Gymkhana 9 was that first one that we were able to really do, you know, Hoonigan as its own production house for that. Follow us on all socials at Battle Approved. That's at Battle Approved. Yeah, I quickly went on your channel and then hit popular. And I think it's put it in order, but like Gymkhana 2020 takeovers, the number one, Gymkhana 722, Gymkhana 9, which you talked about, is third, and then Gymkhana 10, fourth. So obviously that, how, what does that what does that mean? Like for someone that doesn't know what that means, is that just like a made up name? Did it come from somewhere? Is it, obviously I look at it as two words together, Jim and Kana, like is there, is there a meaning yeah, to that? There is, uh, it's horses. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I say that cause it's just, it's such a, bizarre thing so gymkhana if you look up the history of it it was mm. it came from uh horse racing around barrels so i, I want to say it started in india so the name is of indian origin you know you get on a horse and there's a course mapped out and a lot of it is genuine like what we look at now is donuts but you know a horse goes really tightly around a barrel and through another gate and here and there and then afterwards uh the automotive version of it was born in Japan um, oh, and to okay. a certain extent in the UK, uh, in the UK it was known as auto test, but really the mm -hmm. Gymkhana name uh, kind of started living on in Japan. You know, Japan had a genuine all Gymkhana championship, but it was much slower. You know, it was first, second gear stuff. It was very much a proximity driving around cones. And then yeah, like at a car park or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, on a race course or a city or anything like that. It was genuinely just a car park with cones and, and who can get around this course the fastest. The way it was born for us was there was a, a an individual in the US that said, Hey, this looks kind of cool and, and I like that it combines uh drifting, but also a timed aspect. I want to start a race series. So he started a series called Gymkhana USA and Ken heard about it and he was like, Oh, that sounds cool. You could slide a car around. You could do some stuff. He, he took a Subaru to the first event. I think it was his personal Subaru STI that he had at the time mm -hmm. and he did it. And he was like, wow, this is, this is sick. This is like rally style tarmac kind of driving, but for way less money, way less effort. Like I could just show up, slide my car around, drive in that style and have a ton of fun and it's really accessible to to everybody 
So the next step he did, Ken being Ken, was he got a budget around it and he built himself a Gymkhana car, which you now know is the the Gymkhana practice, the Gym, Gymkhana One Subaru. Yeah. He built the car specifically for that series, and then the series folded. It stopped. Which series was up? Uh, the Gymkhana USA. Okay, Gymkhana USA. And so the series stopped. Ken has this sick car that he built. <laughs> what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah, what do I do now? Like, I, I have this asset. I want to drive in that way. Um, so what do I do with it? And his want for that, you know, was watching WRC videos back in the day where the only time you would ever see a donut was if somebody won, you know, like Colin McRae winning the championship and ripping right. donuts in, in Park for May or, you know, uh, a spin or something like that. But you wouldn't ever really see that. He said, man, what if I what if I took that fun style of driving and just really leaned into that and make a video around it like a skate video, you know, like kind of lean yeah, into yeah. that version. Yeah. So that's how the idea of Jim Kana as a video series started. He's like, well, I want to call this what it is. It's Jim Kana driving. So Jim Kana practice, which was him practicing the moves of Jim Kana. That's how the first video started. That's awesome. Yeah, like talking about rallycross or you know rally, you're right. Like obviously, rally is is quite kind of huge within UK and Europe, and 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 not so much in the US. The cool thing about the rally thing and X Games and BMX and skateboarding is as X X Games grew and became this huge brand, it wanted to probably expand. Um, and obviously, so like you know, putting rally into X Games in that kind of like 2006 to 2012 kind of period must must have really helped as well, you know, like to kind of push this forward in the US and stuff. And and obviously with uh, the marketing aspect that you were saying of like Ken and obviously yourself being with Hoonigan for over a decade, we can say it worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's been crazy to watch that. And there was just that really exciting time where, you know, it just takes a couple of guys to, to, to make the spark and it's gotta be the right guys and the right moves. But, you know, you go out there and you see Travis Pastrana and then you see Ken and then Dave Mira got into it and, and Bucky all of a sudden all your action sports heroes are getting into this. Like, yeah, you're going to follow it. And so X game sees it and they're like, wow. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing that's blowing up. Let's talk to Ken about it. And Ken, you know, having the business acumen that he does, you know, takes the meeting and, and shows the business side, not just the exciting audience side of it. And then next thing you know, you have rally that went from this obscure, like us niche thing to being in the X games on ESPN and becoming a household word in a very short amount of time. And that was just the right marketing, the right people and an audience there that's that waiting for something that they they don't know is there. It kind of shows how big it kind of went. Like you know, going on ESPN, that was always like the dream for like UFC to like get on ESPN. Yep. And you know, they started on a small channel, then kind of went to Fox, and now they're on ESPN. You know, tying in skateboarding, snowboarding, motocross, BMX, NX games is kind of really exciting. So, what well, one thing I didn't realize until you know maybe when I knew I was going to speak to you um, was that he was also one of the co-founders of DC shoes as well. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And that's where his life really kicked off in a, a major way. Cause like, yeah, I mean, you look at that. So you've got Ken Block, the Hoonigan thing, yeah, co-founder of DC shoes. 
And then, and then having, you know, like a big brand like Monster, like being, I think like being in X Games, sorry, like an X, you know, BMXer or um, skateboarder, surfboarder, I think like you always want to like have one of those brands, like a, a Monster or a Red Bull or something like get behind you. I mean, that's kind of like a, a little, that's like a big trophy for an individual to like get a, get a partner like that, right? In this space. Yeah. And it's, and it's not easy to do. I mean, you know, those companies being in the position they're in, they can choose whatever and whoever they're involved with. Uh, so your pitch has to be really, really on point and there has to be a real business case for them to sign over, you know, those levels of checks for it. But, you know, once again, Ken, having been on the business side of DC for so long, he knew what he wanted as a business owner he knew what other sponsors wanted from his sponsored athletes so you know he had you know 10 year course before and how all that worked before he even got into a race car at all so that's the funny thing you know like for a race car driver he got into genuine professional motorsports at 37 years old that's an age where you know anybody from formula one would pretty much be retired yeah yeah for him like to start that late and to have the success he had i mean that came from all of his learnings of 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 all those years of dealing on every aspect of the business presenting the reigning defending undisputed elite off-road featherweight Champion of the world, Chris Battle Approved Jay. Where was he before, like 37 and before? Where was he just like, did he just, was he just hanging out and just knew a lot of these X Games guys? Or was like, you know, was he a BMXer as a kid or like, oh yeah, I mean. Because of because of his position at DC, he was in that world every yeah, day. Right. He knew every agent. He knew the athletes. I mean, like from twenty, like from like a teenager onwards, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So he founded DC, co-founded DC in nineteen ninety four. Okay. Um, and it and it really it took off in a very quick way. It was him and Damon Way. Um, yeah, they started DC in ninety four, and it just it 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 took off like crazy. Um, it was just a great, great timing thing, great attitude and really strong branding and a strong vision of what they wanted that to be. So because of that, you know, by the time, you know, it was later on, DC had sold to Quicksilver and, you know, Ken was day to day in the office working with athletes, working with managers, working with sponsors. So he was already very, very deep in that world before he even started in motorsports. Mm. I'm feeling a movie coming on. <laughs> the way you're explaining it, it's like it's just like oh, like this, you know, this kid just like kind of like was whatever he did was like t- turning into gold. Like he was kind of work, like he was just in the space. It was just part of his lifestyle, right? And he probably wasn't overthinking about it, but just everything kind of was, was to was to a certain extent. But and and that's the interesting part of the movie. But when you work with him, you know, I started working with him in 2010. <clears throat> and it's funny how I could show you an email thread that's probably 40 emails deep mm-hmm. about an Instagram post. One, okay. yeah, one, yeah. one Instagram post. And it's uh-huh. like the kerning of the letters and the font and the wow. colors and everything. So there is 
uh, there's a lot of, um, yes, like going into it head first and just kind of making it work. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole other aspect of extreme attention to every detail of story and how you put it out there. And he worked very, very, very hard at that. I, I don't think there was ever a time that he could really turn off his brain. I was going to say, yeah, he probably didn't turn off, yeah. And if he did, he Never. would have had a headache or just like passed out from just being just being tired or something. Exactly, exactly. Or he would have to go out and be doing something yeah. to not be thinking from a business standpoint. You know, I was right. very lucky to have, uh, have taken a lot of trips with him, you know, overall throughout the years. And no matter where we were, if it was snowboarding, if we were, you know, in Ibiza or, or wherever it may have been, you know, taking a little break, on the lake or wherever we would be sitting there over dinner or coffee or something and just talking about the next idea or talking about an upcoming thing we have and oh, how cool would it be if like, you know, we updated our logo to be more like this, you know, it, he was mm-hmm. forever thinking and working towards that path. That's awesome. Well, I think it kind of stands out like, you know, cause like to get something you almost like go, well, that looks kind of simple or like it pops or whatever, but, to 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 get down to simple you start with crazy it's a bit like old sales like you have this funnel and you like chuck like a thousand things in and only like one thing can come out at the end um and the hope and that's kind of like i guess like your diamond or something like that if you think if you've done everything right i also believe like you know because i was in the music business for a number of decades and I can remember like finishing finishing a mix, and a lot of musicians would go, "Oh, they, you know," or even a producer would go, "I don't think it's ready yet and stuff." But there's also a time where you kind of have to get something out there. And I do believe, I, I do, yeah. And there are people that can slow the process down to the point where nothing will ever come out. So I think you always have to have people around you to like say, like, "Well, we we've got you know, you've got to try and hit some deadlines." So even as the creative, you've got to realize like it's got to come out at some point. Also, like with music, like normally, like, you know, when you come up with that first idea or like you say you're around dinner, have a cup of coffee, you go, oh, yeah, we should do this. And you like really vibe on it. But then like you get maybe other people involved or it gets on too long and you lose that original vibe. Normally, the original vibe, that excitement, it is the idea is because if you were that excited by it and then you can get put it out. Okay, not everyone's going to like it. But if if you like it, that means like another 30 million people can like it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think that's really cool. I think, um, so I can remember like seeing um, short course off-road racing kind of for the first time live in 2015 mm-hmm. in, Vega, in Vegas. Kind of heard about it, went out. It was a Lucas race uh, in Vegas. So kind of drove, you know, it was near that um, Air Force base north of Vegas. Mm-hmm. Drove, drove um, saw these like kids and these mod carts race. You know, they're kind of like Yamaha 450 engines, little kind of trophy trucks. And um, I just thought it was—I just thought it was amazing. So I kind of like go, oh, I wanna—I wanna shoot these kids because I kind of felt like you know I wanted to do something that maybe no one else had kind of filmed before. And obviously, mm-hmm. short courses out there back then it was like the Talk series and yep. Lucas on the West Coast, and that was kind of—it was growing really well that in that time. And but no one was really, you know, if I was to do a documentary maybe about kids skateboarding. Hey, that's been done before. It was yeah. like a kids about BMXing. Uh, that's been done before, but 
no one had really done anything in this short course because it is a, like so when i was talking about rally this is a kind of coat full circle so i started filming these kids um they race mod cart so i called it mod kids that was the brand and we've got like mm-hmm. four four 90 minute films coming out the first one's out second one comes out next month oh and, nice. uh, yeah, yeah. But, it's, you know, obviously COVID put a spanner in the works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, full circle. So I go to SEMA and, like, we, one of our sponsors was Kicker for all the films, Kicker Audio. Mm-hmm. So I'd go to SEMA, meet Kicker, and then, like, would have a couple of the kids be at the Kicker booth signing. I just, re- the first time I just remember, um, it was it was a kid called Mason Prater. He's not mm-hmm. a kid now. I remember he was saying to his dad, like, oh, can we still, can we go and see Ken Block's car? <laughs> and at the time, I did not know who Ken Block was, but like, he was going absolutely crazy. As soon as his dad said, okay, yeah, you can go, like, you know, come back in X amount of time. Like, he just like sprung it off. <laughs> but I, I just imagine like now all those kids that really, really look up to Ken Block as like say me in business like old steve jobs right mm-hmm. now obviously now it's like steve jobs is no longer around mm-hmm. and sadly ken is no longer around so i can't imagine how upset the these kids and followers of the hoonigan channel and that whole family like you know when i heard like i didn't even know it, it was it was like when um steve jobs died it was like it, it was a huge shock Right. And obviously, being knowing him, working with him for over a decade, um, knowing his family and how this—I mean, it seems like the Hoonigan brand is not going to go away, and it looks like—and it is going to continue, which is awesome. So, what's the um, what's the plan moving forward? I guess. Yeah. Look, I mean, when it happened, you know, there's a lot of things that have to happen immediately when when you get a tragedy like this, but you know, the second we get back to the office, it's like, okay, there, there's a couple things at play here. There's obviously a large audience of people that were inspired and continue to be inspired by him and enjoyed yeah. everything he was doing. There's a business side of it. You know, there's a very real side when it comes to income and, and sponsorships and race cars and race shops and, and people that are employed by all that. You have to sort through all that in a very, very rapid pace. And it just all kind of starts becoming a blur. And in a way, that's almost helpful too, because you, you stop overthinking it and you just look like, okay, what's what's the most important message? What's the most important thing we can do here? Um, question number one, does Hoonigan keep going? Absolutely. I mean, in, in no world would he have wanted Hoonigan to go away because this was the outlet of showing people how to have fun with cars, whether it's a $500 car, or a $500,000 car. Cars could be fun. It's up to you how you make it that way. So how do we keep that ethos going? How do we continue telling his story? What do we do with this wave of support that we saw around the world that we were completely blown away by? Right. And for us, it was to be able to fulfill a dream that he's had for quite some time. Um, and we've been trying to figure out how to make it happen. But it just didn't pan out. We fast-tracked bringing Gymkhana Grid as a race series back to the U.S. and wow. kicking it off and, and really putting all of our efforts into making that the biggest thing that we do. I like that. So is that, is that happening? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. we on on April 3rd, which for us in the U.S. is, you know, 4-3. Uh, we dubbed that 4-3 day. And we announced the, the comeback of Gymkhana Grid as a race series here in the U.S., 
We'll be doing two events this year uh, in November, December, and it brings everybody from his world together. You know, we'll we'll have Travis Pastrana, we'll have his daughter Leah racing, we'll have hopefully you know guys like Tanner Faust, uh, Bucky Lassick, and then guys from the YouTube front as well. You know, we have guys that have committed to to building cars throughout the year to compete with us. There, guys that have you know two, three, four million followers on YouTube. So we want to carry his legacy on of marketing, his style of driving, his style of showmanship, and a name that he helped build. And we want to put our efforts into making that as big as we can this year. Two events this year, uh, and then trying to make it into a, a triple crown next year with a feeder series in addition to that that helps somebody on the amateur level work their way through the ranks yeah so like i guess so like in jim grid like is it just like one class or like numerous classes so jim grid has multiple classes um the easiest breakdown is all-wheel drive versus rear wheel drive um mm-hmm. obviously the all-wheel drive cars in general are going to be more competitive um and then you have a pro class where you know if somebody's a professional race car driver, they fall into the pro class and, you know, they have a fully built car and all that. And then we have subclasses, you know, on an amateur level. And then we have a creator class as well, which is, you know, anybody from the YouTube space that knows how to drive, maybe they don't have something, you know, on the level of a, a full world rally cross car, but they want to build something cool and unique and compete versus other people in their space. We have a place for that too. So, there's uh there's just a lot of entry points for people to be able to come in and you know obviously the pros are going to put on the the wildest show but there's an audience for each part of it in like in rally am i right in saying like rally especially when it's like on asphalt as, as opposed to like rally going through like woods in europe and stuff that like one thing that we kind of didn't talk about that i'm sure kind of helped along the way is like all these fast and the furious films right and then you mentioned, mentioned yeah. han and so so like drifting and there are there are like you know um actual like drifting events so like is jim kind of grid does that include drifting in it yeah that's correct yeah we create the courses in a way that it almost forces drifting in certain okay. parts um so it has a very very big drift aspect to it but unlike oh. drifting it's not judged. It's against the clock. So yeah, yeah. there's a very real time aspect to it as well. You don't want to drift too long. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and and the, the issue there is, you know, you have to balance, you know, drifting isn't necessarily the fastest way through a corner, but sometimes, you know, like around a barrel or in a donut box or through something very tight, it is the best way to get around. So we build the courses very specifically to create racing lines that encourage drifting yeah and then from a stage rally aspect you know one of the reasons why stage rally has such a challenge in the u.s is that you know it's one car on the road at a time alone in the woods you know in, in distant areas if you're a spectator you'll only see one corner maybe three or four throughout the entire day if you move and hike a lot it's a bit like desert racing like if you go to the desert same thing it's just like same thing it's very very hard to watch as a spectator so we took all of that we took what we love about rally what we love about drifting and made it into essentially a stadium sport Mm. where you know it's a it's a mirrored course so you have a left course and a right course and the cars start oh cool they they race each other on the mirror and then finish and then swap sides 
and then it's best of three. And each run is kind of engineered to be around a minute, which is, you know, your kind of max Instagram, TikTok, you know, viewing kind of window. So you get these quick, awesome, really exciting runs and you get a bunch of different winners and they work their way through a bracket. And that's how you determine who the actual fastest winner is. So there's two sides and they're mirrored. When they go around it, then at some point they cross out, like the cars cross each other and go on the other side and do it again. Is that was uh, they, not not mid course? Uh, yeah. So, you know, they'll start off, they'll do the left side. You know, one car does left, one car does right. And yeah. then that run finishes and then they switch and then they do one side, one side. When you say switch, what, start all over again? Yeah, like best of three runs. Okay. All right. Oh, best of three runs. So like if it's 1-1, one, one, then they go again a third time. Exactly. And then the winner of that goes into another heat or something. Or yep. races against yep. someone else until you get a winner. Against the next bracket, yep. I like that. I really like the name Gymkhana Grid. You know, we, we piloted it in 2011, uh, and we made it to X Games. It was an X Games sport in 2013. Ah. And then the X Games moved to a different location. That location just didn't have a big enough tarmac course for us to make another uh, a course. And then, you know, X Games kind of slowed down with their stuff. Mm-hmm. We took the series to Europe and it kind of kept developing there. And, you know, you start getting a lot more exciting obstacles. So, you know, Monster in the UK has done a really good job of evolving obstacles to include you know a sherman tank and a a cessna on its nose and sparks and pyro and all this stuff to where it's actually a very interesting thing to watch without being overly gimmicky i mean it's still very real racing and you have guys like petter and oliver solberg you know being very very competitive and having fun at it because it's the style of driving that they like without the consequence of you know being in rally and being sideways at 130 miles an hour with a tree two feet from me in terms of like the size that's needed for the ground and stuff is it like does it have to be would it be in a stadium or would it be like in a motorsports park or something and then you'd have to like create the stands around it or something kind of the beautiful thing about it is you know uh you don't need a racetrack you just need a large section of tarmac you know essentially like 300 by 300 feet uh, at a minimum so you could go to a mall parking lot you can go to an airfield you can really build it wherever you'd like that's cool so these first two where where are they being held so we're still working through venues um and we'll be announcing those in the next couple weeks uh but they will be on one on the east coast and one on the west coast okay if someone hasn't seen a Hoonigan video before, what would what would, what would you say? Just go to YouTube and type in Hoonigan. Oh man, <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know what video would come up. You could yeah. you, you might get something uh, very niche and obscure. Um, mm. I would say uh, the first thing to look up would be Gymkhana San Francisco. Okay, kind of already a fan of this Gymkhana grid. I'm looking forward to what what you guys do this year and hope it really grows into something. I think that's like a real cool, uh, I think it was, it'd be great to have like your own kind of little race series. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's super exciting for us. And, you know, from a Hoonigan side, we're going to be partaking in it ourselves. So myself, uh, Hoonigan's co-founder, Brian, and our SVP of partnerships, uh, Vin and Atra, the three of us are building cars to compete in, and we're building them on our channels throughout the year as like 
you know, kind of a year long marketing lead up into that moment of the event. Because for us, Grid is is much more than an event. It's a year long campaign building towards this, you know, legacy of Ken's. Because it's like on a small scale, it's a bit like building a battle bot and then going to battle. Like you, you got you guys are kind of doing that. You're planning for the year, and yeah. then you're going to be racing against each other. So it's definitely like everyone's got everyone's going there to battle, <laughs> right? And that and that's the cool thing about YouTube is that you know you get whatever niche audience you may get around. You know, let's say Scotto, he's building a a Toyota AE86, but he's a Volkswagen guy, so he's throwing a a, a VR6 engine in it. And so mm-hmm. you know, there's an audience built around that, and they'll follow him for the next six months building that thing and so to see it to completion and to watch it compete they're that much more tied to it because they like they're invested in that car you know they want to see it finish it doesn't even matter where or how fast it is they're just hyped to see it do the thing so you're building like a fan base leading up to the event exactly across the year with each vehicle yep that's awesome i I think like you know i'll definitely appreciate your time i'd super appreciate the time you know i I love telling kent's story i love telling the story of this place you know i'm i'm extremely lucky to have been a part of it and and to to watch it grow into what it has been so yeah i I, i'll I'll tell the story all day any day i i genuinely genuinely enjoy it if it's promoting anything it's you know cars and car culture man it's it's where we're all at it's what we all love doing and just be in it get in it and enjoy it